It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right it. Now the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. We've got a good one uh, coming up today in the third half of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk with, um, oh, let me see where I can, oh, Paulina Tenner who is uh, from the UK, and uh, she is a founder, a thought leader, a tech startup angel investor, and a TEDx speaker, and a former stripper. And she talks all about it in a new book called Laid Bear, What the Business Leader Learned from the Stripper. Coming up in the middle of the second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with author Christine Naiman, um, who talks about her daughter's addiction, a mother's love, and finding their way back to each other in her book about Natalie. But first, if you love murder mysteries, you're going to love a new series from a Michigan author. And um, this is actually uh, kind of an interesting story. Um, The book is called Murder at Malawan Hall. I think I'm saying that right. And it tells the story of uh, Agatha Christie's housekeeper and her efforts to solve a murder mystery. It's written by Colleen Cambridge, who joins me by phone. Hi, Colleen. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. Good morning. I'm trying to, I'm wrestling with the idea of how 
basically what happens is this is like, um, in, in some ways, like an Agatha Christie story where there's a house party, a weekend, you know, get together of some people and a murder pops up. And so it's a That's little very, bit, yeah. it's, it's kind of like a drawing room mystery, those ones that I love so much from the 30s and 40s. And it, um, but what, I've, what I'm wrestling with, and perhaps you can help me out, how could a murder happen at the home of Agatha Christie and Agatha Christie not be the one to solve the crime? Yes, that's quite the uh, that's quite the question, and that was definitely <laughs> something that I wrestled with when I started developing this book, which of course was going to be a series. So, in order to answer that question, let me back up and, and explain it. The idea actually came from my publisher. My editor called me one day and said, "Look, we have this great idea in house. We when we want you to to write it." And they said, "We want a murder mystery series with Agatha Christie's housekeeper." as the main character, as the protagonist, solving the, the mystery. And I, I loved the idea immediately, and I immediately had visions of Downton Abbey and Agatha Christie and, <laughs> you know, Mrs. Hughes kind of popping around looking for the murder. Um, so I did have to wrestle with why wouldn't Agatha be the one? And I can tell you that as a murder mystery writer myself, it's far easier to plant the clues that you want when you're developing a murder mystery than to try to solve one in real life. So that's basically the conversation that uh, Phyllida Bright, Phyllida Bright is the housekeeper, the main character of the series, and Phyllida and Agatha Christie are actually old colleagues. They both worked at uh, the hospital uh, during World War One, the hospital dispensary. Now, the, the fictional part is Phyllida, but the factual part is Agatha Christie actually did work in the dispensary at a hospital during World War One, which is how she learned so much about poisons. So Agatha Christie and Phyllida Bright have a history together, and they're friends. And so when this dead body shows up in Agatha Christie's library, which is pretty ironic in its own, you know, right, um, they do have a conversation, and, and Agatha and Phyllida says, Agatha, you need to figure out who did this. And Agatha says, no, 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 no. This is not what I do. I don't solve mysteries. I write them, and I can design them the way I want to. Aside from that, Agatha Christie uh, was very, very publicity shy, based because of the, uh, the disappearance, this mysterious disappearance that had happened some years earlier, because, uh, where she disappeared for 11 days during her divorce from Archie Christie. And so she, she wouldn't want to have anything that would put her in the limelight or have her be exposed to the press or journalists or have to go around and talk to people. So that is how I justified Agatha not being the, uh, the, the sleuth and, and Phyllida Bright being the sleuth instead. That's a, that's interesting because there are stories, um, there have been treatments done where Agatha Christie herself was the sleuth. And, and I remember reading that Arthur Conan Doyle would occasionally get a letter from someone asking him to solve some mystery <laughs> because of his famous character, uh, Sherlock Holmes. It, did that, in, in your research in putting this together did that ever happen to Agatha Christie where people would write to her and say you know we've got this mystery we can't untangle can you take a stab at it you know I'm not sure if it actually specifically happened to Agatha herself but Agatha Christie was a member of uh, a, a coalition of mystery writers 
called the Detection Club um, that was uh, created in the 20s, the late 20s, and people like G.K. Chesterton and Anthony Berkeley and Agatha Christie and Dorothy L. Sayers and many other names that, from that time period were members of this group. And as a group, you know, they talked about real crime solving. And in fact, I know Dorothy L. Sayers tried to get involved in some sort of investigation, and another member of the Detection Club did as well. But as far as I know, nobody actually wrote to Agatha Christie directly and asked her, but I mean, I'm sure they did. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm, I'm glad you said uh, Phyllida Bright's name, because I've been wrestling with how to pronounce it, and I have a feeling it's, it's because this is going to be a series, it's a name I'm going to want to know how to say. I would hope. Thank you. So uh, I, came, I came up with the name Phyllida because uh, I was watching a Poirot adaptation on BBC with David Suchet, who in my mind is the best uh, portrayer of Hercule Poirot ever. Oh, he's, yeah, he's quintessential. Oh, gosh, I love him. And there was a, this was early on when I was just developing the series, and uh, there was a character in this Poirot story. It was a very you know, minor character, but her name was Phyllida. So A, I knew how to spell it, and B, I knew how they would pronounce it in England. And then I did a little research, and it turns out that Phyllida is the name of Emma Thompson's mother, who's also an actress. So it's a pretty quintessentially British name, but not necessarily one that we uh, here over on the other side of the pond might be familiar with. And, and um, it's interesting, um, and, and maybe not coincidental, that... that Phyllida's name comes from a Poirot story, and that she's got a real fondness for Poirot. Indeed. I, I, there's quite a few <laughs> Agatha Christie Easter eggs sprinkled throughout this book and the subsequent book, which I have just uh, finished writing. And um, I'm hoping that the, you know, the, the Agatha Christie aficionados will spot all of them. There are very obvious references, obviously, to Poirot and his mustaches and, and Miss Marple and so on. In fact, um, Miss Marple has, one of her books is called The Body in the Library, and there is an exchange between Phyllida and Agatha where Agatha's like, oh, that's a great idea to have a body show up in a library that nobody knows who the body is. And that's precisely the premise of this Miss Marple um, book that Agatha Christie wrote, you know, after this mind mystery took place. So I'm doing a little bit of feeding and seeding into these books where, um, you know, referring to some of the stories that Agatha Christie would, would write in the future, and maybe how she potentially got the ideas. <laughs> the, um, now, the characters, of course, Agatha Christie and, um, and her archaeologist husband, Max Mallowan. Am I saying Max's last name right? Because that's the name of the hall. Yeah, I believe that's how I've always said it. That's how I've always heard it. So okay. let's well, go with Mallowan. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible with... with uh, with names in and so i'm uh you know always um, asking and, and trying to make sure i learn how to say the names right but um they are real people and Mallowan hall is a real place which no, Mallowan hall is not a real place oh no no, no i so <laughs> Yeah, well, go ahead and finish your question, and then I'll tell you why I ended up doing it that way. Um, yeah, I, I, what I was going to say is, you know, at, at first blush, it, you know, you would imagine that the house was real, 
Agatha Christie and, and Max Mallowan are real. It, it hints as being, in, in, at least in part, a historical novel, that it's fiction set against real places and real things. Um, and, and there's research that goes along with that. In a book like this, where you're in kind of a confined area, you're in this house, there's a dead body in the library, a, a whodunit to be figured out. Um, is that all on you, or do you have to do a certain amount of research to put some of the uh, um, landmarks in? So, uh, yeah, so you, historical mysteries, which is, of course, what this is. Uh, this book is set sometime in the 1930s. I don't actually say when because I want that flexibility of being able to, you know, I, I only want to write books during the 1930s for this series because I don't want the war to get involved. So uh, Malowin Hall is based on what a, what a general, you know, English estate might be like in the 1930s, a large one. Agatha Christie owned several homes. She had one in London. She had another small or much smaller uh, country home, and I think she had a third one. But they weren't large enough for my purposes because if I'm going to have a murder mystery series set around, you know, Agatha Christie's housekeeper, I'm going to need rooms and space for bodies to show up and, and, and things to happen. But rest assured that the setting, even though it's an actual fictional home, that the setting and all of the um, elements as to the servants, their roles, how the household was run, the clothing that people wore, the things that they ate, the customs they had, all of that is well-researched and definitely, you know, Edwardian England, 1930s England. So um, there's a lot of research involved even though the home is fictional. Is, is one of the reasons for having a large estate to introduce a large staff? Yes, indeed, exactly. You know, probably in real life, Agatha Christie maybe only had a housekeeper, possibly a butler, um, maybe even a day maid. A lot of times the housekeeper in smaller homes would do the cooking and manage, you know, the, um, the, uh, the maids that might clean, you know, the, the sitting rooms or the parlors or the bedrooms. So there might be a smaller staff. So I wanted a Downton Abbey type of feel, and so I went bigger, so I had more people to work with, more space to work with, and that makes it more interesting in my mind. Well, Colleen, I have to uh, I have to take a short break here, but I love these kinds of stories. Can you stick around so we can talk some more? Sure, thank you. All right. My guest is Colleen Cambridge. She is the author of Murder at Mallowan Hall. The uh, I've learned fictional home of... <laughs> Famous writer Agatha Christie and her archaeologist husband Max Mallowan, where a murder occurs during a weekend dinner party and housekeeper Phyllida Bright takes over and becomes the sleuth. Um, we're going to take a uh, short break, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are uh, WFOV 92.1 LPFM Flint and um, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click Hello that mouse. Hello everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner Program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue talking with uh, author Colleen Cambridge, who um, has uh, begun a new murder mystery series with uh, the introduction of uh, Agatha Christie's housekeeper and sleuth, Philida Bright. And uh, the book is called Murder at Mallowan Hall, a Philida Bright mystery. And uh, Colleen joins me by phone. Colleen, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. No worries. Um, Colleen, we, we talked about this uh, being the first in a, in a series. Was it intended to be a series right from the beginning? I always ask writers that because I, I wonder sometimes if they, they get to the end of a book and go, but wait, there's more. Um, Yes, it was always intended to be a series from the beginning. Most people who uh, read mystery series really prefer to have a protagonist that they can continue to follow over the you know over the course of books and see their um, you know uh, relationships develop and so on. So uh, definitely, when it was approached, when my publisher approached me and said we'd like you know a series, so yes, so there the second book is finished, should be out about a year from now, and um, hopefully there'll be more. Now, I forgot to mention um, when I introduced you that you are, in fact, a New York Times best-selling author. This is not your, your first book by any stretch of the imagination. Um, is, is murder mystery the, the genre that you prefer to write in, or is this a, a new path for you? I've written in many different genres, but I love mysteries. I've always read mysteries. I grew up reading Nancy Drew, Trixie Belden, Agatha Christie. So I've always loved mysteries. They have been my first love. And throughout all of the different books that I've written in different genres, there's usually been a mystery or suspense element in most of them. Um, Currently, my favorite genre to read is historical set mystery, which is what I'm writing now. So I couldn't be happier. I'm just really thrilled to be doing this series and uh, it's my favorite series, to, my favorite genre to read as well. So, win-win. Is it, is it by, um, is, is it your intention that all the books in the series will be standalone, or will there be some bit of uh, sequential uh, component to it? That's, oh, that's a great question. So, each of the books will have its own contained murder you know, mystery that needs to be solved. But the lives and the relationships and the character development will, will you know, arc over the whole series. So in this first book, we meet Philida, we meet Mr. Dobble the butler, Mrs. Puffley the cook, and the rest of the staff. And we get to know them, but we'll get to know them better as the series goes on. We'll get to know more about their personal lives. We'll get to know more about, you know, how the staff might change. So there will be that element of cohesion that, that keeps, you know, the reader coming back for more. Because in my under- from my experience, both from uh, being a reader myself and from talking to readers, they like the contained story, but they really want to follow those characters and see how their lives develop. And so that's what will happen. So you can read the series out of order, but you would probably get more from it if you read it in order just because of the character development. And the... Um, now, the future plans for... Philida Bright, as she 
you know, explores and expands and continues to do sleuthing, um, they can't, uh, are you going to have to move off campus or are they going to continue to be murders at dinner parties in the Christy Mallowan home? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that we'll have too many murders actually in the, you know, in the home itself, but I, I think that there will be more in the future. Now, um, the next book, which I just finished, actually, the murder takes place in the small village that's nearby Mallowan Hall at an event that Agatha Christie and actually a bunch of the members of the Detection Club, which I mentioned earlier, are at. A bunch of other murder mystery writers are at this function in this village, and somebody is murdered. So we're, we've moved off away from actually the, the property of Mallowan Hall, but we're still in the vicinity. But Agatha Christie was a huge traveler. She traveled all the time. She had a home in London. Her husband, as you mentioned earlier, was an archaeologist, and she would go with him on digs. So there's the potential for, you know, the housekeeper and a small portion of the staff, not certainly not the entire staff from Allen Hall, but the ones we want to really get to know, to follow, you know, to go to the London home, to go, you know, to Egypt for a dig or something. So I can see some expansion of the, uh, of the locale of the mysteries, but a lot of them will stick around in a small village as well. Yeah, I was going to say, if every time Agatha Christie had a dinner party, somebody got murdered, <laughs> people would quit going to the parties. Totally, yes, yeah, so she <laughs> might even get arrested. Yes, exactly. So I have to get creative with that. Uh, you know, the, the, the idea was to get people hooked on the idea of this series with, the, you know, the, the, the quintessential, you know, house party mystery, basically the mysterious affair at Styles, which was her first book, that kind of setting, and then develop you know, the character and the locales as things, as time goes on. Well, and that's a great way to introduce Phyllida Bright. Thank you. I, I had, uh, I had fun. I thought, you know, the very first scene, the housekeeper walks into the library and there's a dead body on the floor with a fountain pen sticking out of his neck. I mean, how else are you going to start a book, you know? <laughs> well, but, and, and I would think almost any library murder mystery would start out that way, only the house cre the housekeeper would would scream, and <laughs> and and then it yeah. would be up to somebody else to figure out what you know what caused the the crime. Right. So right. this takes this yes, definitely takes a different turn. Well, and that's one thing about Phyllida, having worked as a nurse during the war, and she's seen a lot of dead bodies, and she's pretty practical. So when she walks into the library, she sees the body, but she doesn't scream. And, um, you know, that, that is exactly it. That's how the series, that's how the whole series launches. Is, you know, she kind of, yes, she's startled. Yes, there's blood everywhere. But, you know, she's not about, Phyllida Bright doesn't scream. <laughs> she just doesn't. I just, I, I almost have this impression of her, you know, retrieving the pen and saying, that doesn't go there, <laughs> and putting it away. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, actually, I wish I had thought of that, but uh, being a murder mystery <laughs> reader herself, Phyllida probably knew better than to touch the crime scene. Well, of course. What would uh, Hercule say? <laughs> what would Poirot do? <laughs> right, exactly. This is, this is so much fun. Do you find yourself... Um, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the creative process. Are you constantly thinking of little 
twists and, and turns and recording them somewhere to use at a future time? I, yes, I do. I do make notes if I have ideas for future books. Uh, I have a nice little um, stack of, of thoughts and ideas. Um, some of the things that I'm trying to do is you know, I'm rereading a lot of the Agatha Christie novels, which is a wonderful way to research and, and read for pleasure and call it work. So if there's quotes that stick out to me that I might want to use or elements of the stories that I might want to use as an Easter egg in the book, I'm making notes of some of those. So definitely. Yeah, a friend, a friend of mine, a songwriter in Nashville, does that with little bits of melodies and chords and lyrics and things, and he calls it his boneyard. Oh, oh I love that. <laughs> boneyard. I get it. Yes, he goes. Yes. I mean, I don't know. Even though I write murder mysteries, it's a little grim for me. Maybe I'll call it my little seed packet or something. <laughs> yeah, but if... garden of sprouts. But but it seems to really fit the idea of collecting yeah, material yeah. for murder <laughs> mysteries. Um, yeah. You know, I was, I was talking about this uh, this notion of thinking about these things all of the time, and I I asked David Baldacci about that, and and he told me about a uh, trip that he and his wife took to the Grand Canyon, and guess where his next novel began. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> indeed. Oh yeah, that is that is one of the nice things about being a writer is you know be, doing doing research trips, legitimate research trips. Well, this was just a vacation, but it came time to write a book, and and the thing well. is, you never really turn it off, do you? <laughs> Definitely not. Always thinking, and I'm one of those people who I don't know who the murderer is when I start writing the book, and the murderer actually usually changes multiple times while I'm writing the book. And there's usually a point when I know who the murderer is, and I'm almost done with the book, and then I change it one last time. Well, and, and in some ways, um, maybe the the character, the murderer, is revealing themselves to you. I think that's that's an excellent thought. Yes, and as I'm writing the book, I'm in the shoes of the investigator, whoever it is, the sleuth, you know, fill it up, whoever. And as she's finding clues, I'm thinking, what do these clues mean? I write to discover. I don't usually plan too much ahead, unfortunately. I, yeah, I was going to ask about that. If you, you know, if you wrote an outline and stuck to the outline, or or if the books, I, I don't want to oversimplify it, but sort of write themselves. It, it's yeah. It's I wish I could write an outline and write from that. I wish I could develop an outline and write from that. That's just not the way my creative brain works. And after. You know, 36 novels, I've learned to just let myself go through the process. And what it is for me, it's almost like I'm reading the book as a reader would, with a critical eye, obviously, but I'm reading it and it's unrolling in front of me, you know, slightly ahead of where I'm writing, like I, my brain's slightly ahead of where I'm writing, but it's, I don't really know where I'm heading until I get there. It's kind of like driving through the fog. I can see a little bit ahead of me, but I can't see too far. Is, um, are you very disciplined writer do you sit down and and write uh, to a schedule start at a certain time of day and expect to get so much accomplished by the end of the day or or are you a binge writer i'm generally pretty disciplined as far as a schedule i usually write roughly 9 30 to 11 30 and then usually like you know two one to three or two to four or until I get to my daily word count goal, because I always have a daily word count goal in order to make my deadlines. 
the interesting thing that many people learn about me is that I don't sit to write. I actually walk at a treadmill desk while I'm writing my book. Oh, good for you. I, I heard I heard an interview. Um, I heard Stephen King asked in an interview. It wasn't one of mine, sadly, but uh, he was asked if he wrote to a schedule or to the muse. And he, he said, oh, always to the muse, but fortunately the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a little like exercise. You know, if you do it regularly, it becomes easier. And, yeah, there's days when I can blow, you know, write out write 2,000 words in an hour and a half, and there are days when, I'm like, you know, it's like pulling teeth to get 500 words written over the course of four hours. Some days are easier than others. But that's generally, you know, I try to write during those those blocks of time. Do you ever find yourself, uh, because of the way that you write, writing yourself into a corner? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe not so much writing myself into a corner, but I can usually tell when I'm getting, I'm starting to do that because things aren't working. And usually I can back myself out before I get completely stuck in the corner. So, uh, yeah, I, I can see, I can usually tell when it's when I'm getting to the point where something's not right and I might have to back up a scene or two, change them, cut them, which I hate doing, but, you know, do that. So, yes, it does happen. How did you start writing, Colleen? I was writing stories when I was in middle school. I used to write stories all the time about my friends going on adventures. We would go on adventures and into high school, and I just, I wrote for the fun of it. I was a huge reader. I read all the time, but then there were times when there was a story that I wanted to tell. So I went through college, got my master's, got married, had kids, was raising my kids. All during that time, I would write in the evening, just a little bit every night, just because it was something I enjoyed doing. And in 2005, I sold my first book, and it came out in, in January of 07. And I was able to write full time. I've been able to write full time since then. I'm very fortunate because it's not um, usual that a writer who's a mid-list writer like myself can necessarily, you know, write full time. It's, it's helpful that I have a partner, which makes it, you know, which makes me able to do that. That's um, that's that's fascinating. I, I, you know, I mentioned David Baldacci and his first book became a blockbuster movie and and I teased him about that that was of course absolute power and mm -hmm. and um and, and it's one of my favorite movies and and I you know I have a lot of favorite mysteries and and uh, whodunits and and that kind of thing um but, but I I kind of teased him about it because he had been an attorney and then he sold that book and it became a bestseller and then it became this huge movie and I said people return your calls now don't they <laughs> <laughs> true very true I bet yes and I asked him yeah. if he liked writing better than being a lawyer and um and the laughter was his answer um <laughs> but that um but but that really sort of uh, begs the question that that um, how how were you able to know that what was the moment like when you realized hey I can I can I can do this full-time I can I can be a full-time writer it was when my agent called me and said are you sitting down <laughs> for my first book so my first book when it sold in 2005 she said are you sitting down and I immediately plopped down into my chair 
and she had uh, a really nice deal for me from um, New American Library, which at the time was part of the Penguin Group. And it was uh, it was kind of the launch of me being able to write full time because it was a it was a good enough deal to do that. Now over the years, I've had up and down deals since then, um, which is normal for a writer and and the way we're paid. You know, we're paid twice a year, basically, based on royalties, so you never know what's coming. Um, or you're paid as you sign a contract or turn in a manuscript. So the cash flow is probably the biggest issue for most writers. You don't know what you're going to get till you get it most of the time. So having a partner who has a regular income made it easy for me to be able to do the full-time writing. I had a master's in business. I had worked in you know, sales for years, and I worked for a startup company. I'd done a bunch of things, and I was actually, when I sold my first book, kind of between jobs, and it worked out really well. I didn't ever have to go back to a full-time office job, uh, although I write full-time. I have a full-time job now. It's just not a structured office job. How long does it take you from inception to releasing a book? How, how long is that process for you? Well, uh, so the book that, that will be coming out a year from now, the second Phyllida book, I wrote over the summer and turned into my editor on October 1st. And so that book will be out about a year from now. So probably in about an, within the next couple of weeks, I'll hear back from my editor, editor as to any you know, changes or thoughts or you know, concerns she has about the novel. I'll start to see the cover, what they're going to do for the cover, and we'll, we'll decide on a title. We'll start talking about what the write-up is going to be, the description of the, of the story. And then they'll produce advanced copies It'll go through the editing process, and when it's almost done with the editing process, they'll produce advanced copies probably in May-ish, May, and then um, the actual books will be printed and shipped you know, around you know late September, middle of October next year. So well, you know about a year from the time I turn it in, but the actual writing time is usually three to five months for me. Fascinating. Um, you know, I mentioned David Baldacci and, and his first uh, bestseller, Becoming a, a Movie, and a lot of Agatha Christie's characters, Poirot and Miss Marple, made it into film and television. Um, do you think her head of household, Phyllida Bright, is headed in that direction? Boy, I would love to get that phone call. Uh, I mean, I don't know any, any writer who wouldn't like to get that phone call. Absolutely. I mean, there's absolutely been some interest already uh, in the, you know, about, because the premise is just so, you know, it's just, you get, you get it right away. Agatha Christie's housekeeper finds a dead body, solves a mystery. Um, so, you know, I'd love to see it on BBC or something. I'd love to see it made into a TV show. Who knows? That would be, maybe I could be the next David Baldacci. I don't know. <laughs> Well, not all of his books end up on, on television. It's not like Stephen King or Tom Clancy. No. but um, And he talks about John Grisham a lot, because I guess they're buddies. But ah. He calls him Grish. <laughs> and, and, you know, I what told him... Grish call him, bald? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I like that idea. Um, no, in fact, I, uh, I, I, I told him, I said... You know, you talk about Grish all the time, and he's never been on my show. <laughs> and Baldacci said, well, uh, well, I'll have to talk to him about that, but I've heard nothing for, uh, for what it's yeah, worth. Yeah, that's frustrating. <laughs> um, but, I'm, but I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this new series uh, based on uh, 
the sleuthing ability of Agatha Christie's head of household, uh, Philida Bright. The, the book is uh, the first in a series, Murder at Mallowan Hall, a Philida Bright mystery by Colleen Cambridge. Colleen, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I do. It's ColleenCambridge.com, C-O-L-L-E-E-N, and Cambridge spelled like the city. And the book comes out on Tuesday, and I know that Fenton's Open Book has signed copies in stock. So for your local readers, oh, cool. listeners might want to pop in there. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And um, have, you, have you always been a Michigander? Uh, except for about two years I lived in the Philadelphia area, yes. Um, Born it, and raised here. <laughs> is is it difficult to be from this part of the country and and get the intent the attention of uh, book publishers and distributors? Not any more difficult than it is to live anywhere else. It's really not a so much a networking game as you as one might think. You know, if you have Nav in New York, you get to meet the agents and so on. You can meet those people, you know, the types of people at conferences. It's really, at the end of the day, the work. You know, if the work hits the right note for the editor who reads it and the right note for the editorial team, then, you know, they're going to offer a contract. It's not, you're, you're sending letters, you're, you're making inquiries. It's more, uh, it doesn't really matter where you're coming from. And, and how much of that is agent-driven? It's age, all agent-driven for me at this point. Now that I have an agent, she... And I, we talk about what projects I have on the, you know, in, in the hopper, what I want to work on, and then we'll discuss where she might take them. Right now, I'll be writing two series for Kensington, who publishes this this series, and uh, that's pretty, you know, that's 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 a lot of work, a couple books a year, and then I do a couple side projects. So she does, my agent does all of the negotiations and finds publishers that might be interested in whatever work I'm working on. Well, as I said, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much for spending this uh, this time with me this morning, and good luck with the book. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Tom. Have a great day. It's beautiful out today here in Michigan. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. That was um, New York Times bestselling author Colleen uh, Cambridge, and uh, the new book is... Murder at Mallowan Hall, uh, a Philida Bright mystery by uh, Colleen Cambridge. Philida Bright, of course, uh, in, the, in the book is um, Agatha Christie's head of household and a sleuth in her own right. Fun new series. Anyway, we are going to take a short break and let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when they go to break, when we go to break. Uh, they are WFOV, Our Voices Radio, 92.1 LPFM Flint, a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House, Spectacle Productions, and my friend Paul Hearing. And if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. But there's a lot more good stuff on today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program as we kick the weekend off early So uh, don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse, stick around. There's uh, lots more to go, and it's fun to have you along.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hopper. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. W.H. Weiskarper, a recent guest on the show, has pledged 50% of the proceeds from his book Twilight of Empire from sales between October 1st and October 31st to support the Tom Sumner program. W.H. Weiskarper, a former National Security Advisor and counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, pulls no punches, fusing history with political intrigue in Twilight of Empire, the third of four planned novels in the Resurrection Saga series. W.H. Carver's book, Twilight of Empire, shows that the U.S. has all the wealth, science, and resources to solve every issue we face today. Twilight of Empire by W.H. Carver is available on Amazon and Apple Books. For more information and to support the Tom Sumner program, visit whyscarver.com.
The Tom Sumner Program.com. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Another five-minute mystery. An anniversary party is going on at the Brown household around the corner. One of the guests, George Taylor, pauses while eating his dessert. Mmm, best lemon pie I've ever tasted, Mary. Oh, really? I wish my wife could do as well. Hey, it doesn't look as if Sam is appreciating it much, though. Goodness, dear, is my cooking that bad? Sam, your head is practically in your plate. I guess he's fallen asleep, everyone. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Sam, Sam, sit up. Sam, it's dreadful. I'd better shake him. Sam, Sam! Great guns, he's dead. How do you do? I'm Sergeant Barker of the Homicide Division, and this is one of my boys, Mike Grady. Where's the body? In the dining room at the table. We didn't move him. Hmm. Might as well be comfortable, everybody. This will take just a little while. Hmm. Dead, all right. Peaceful, too. Wh- who's Mrs. Sam Brown? I am. You mind telling me what happened? I guess not. I'm so shocked. I don't know where to begin or what to tell you. Well, you might as well begin by telling me what you served for dinner. Well, uh, we had soup first. Soup? What kind? Mushroom. And then roast chicken, green peas, mashed potatoes, and I served him coffee. But I don't see how this could mean anything. Just routine, Mrs. Brown. Did Mr. Brown eat everything? Yes, yes he did. He seemed to fall asleep over his coffee. Mm Mm-hmm. And when I tried to wake him, I found he's had a heart attack. Yeah, that'll be all for a few minutes, Mrs. Brown. We want to take a look around. Uh, notice anything about this table, Mike? No, Chief. Can't say as I do. Neither do I. Let's look in this kitchen. An orderly person, isn't she? Stacked dishes after each course. Yes, and here's the silverware over here. Ah, oh, look. Look, Chief. One of these soup spoons has turned black. Black? Let me see it. The only spoon that's tarnished, too. Well, I was beginning to think it was a heart attack or the perfect murder. But this silver soup spoon is evidence enough. Uh, Mrs. Brown? Yes, Sergeant Barker? I'm sorry to interrupt your little party, Mrs. Brown, but I'm sure your guests won't mind. Uh, I don't understand. You will, Mrs. Brown, you will. You see, you're under arrest for the murder of your husband. Do you know why Sergeant Barker accused Mrs. Brown of murder? In a moment, we'll hear the solution... And now, back to our story. Sergeant Barker, how do you know it was homicide? Well, Mrs. Brown took careful pains to wash the soup pans and soup dishes before she served the rest of the meal. Yeah, I can see that. But she forgot one thing, to wash the silver soup spoons. What she didn't realize was that an hour later, by the end of dinner, the spoon her husband had used to eat his toadstool soup would give her away. She didn't know that toadstools make silver turn black. Mrs. Brown almost committed the perfect murder. But she forgot to wash one spoon. This five-minute mystery featured the voices of Sean Cantwell, Rhonda Groves Young, Randy Zimmerman, and yours truly, Tom Sumner. We hope you've enjoyed this mini-mystery. 
This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner. I don't touch my face I stay 
at home Shelter in place Social distance Don't go to work I wear a mask and gloves Stay away from church I avoid old folks And should I sneeze I do it in my elbow Or up my sleeve Six feet apart That is the rule And I pray for the day The kids can go back to school I'm washing my hands Like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors And I'm sick of what I see Two more weeks of quarantine Death of me, death of me. I risk a trip to the grocery store to buy TP and a few things more. But when I get there, all I can find is sixteen honey buns. And some mad dog wine I'm washing my hands Like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors Cause I'm sick of what I see So this quarantine's gonna be the death of me The death of me You know, they say this is war But we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Porkchop Hill And we just lay here on the couch and watch TV I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid To parachute into Wuhan And find that little fellow that ordered that bad soup I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like, yes, dear, yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. Well, what slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized <laughs> as soon as I regained consciousness. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. You pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.